welcome to the AP Euro Recap Podcast, where we recap everything we learned from this week in the class. This week, I have Josh, James, and you've been with me today. Y'all say hi. Hi. Um, and this week, we're going to be talking about absolutism. To get started, who wants to give a brief explanation of what absolutism is? I'll do it. Absolutism is when a monarch has full control of the nation. And usually absolutism involves the monarchs controlling the nobility, the Catholic Church, and also a large army. And yeah. So what are some ways, what's the main way they got all their power? Uh, one way they got their power was by assigning specific people they felt like to the government so that they didn't have anyone going against them. Yes. And the other way they got their power is through collecting taxes. That was a big thing. Oh, yeah. They got taxes, got money. And more getting money made them want more money. And they were pretty rich at the expense of all the peasants. I feel like that makes no sense. They got their power because they left taxes. That makes no sense. They Once they got their power, they started uh, having more taxes. Like a motivation behind them getting power was that they could raise more taxes. And it would help them fund wars. Yeah. Because conquest. I like what caused them to get more power. Okay, I would say that like like, they like decrease the power of nobility. Can can I say that real quick? (laughs) Oh, I was going to use what you just said. That was perfect. Okay, cool. So go ahead and keep talking. So I think a better thing to say uh, for what caused the uh, the rise of uh, absolutism was uh, a decrease in the power of like the the nobility or like the like the parliament. Uh, basically getting rid of other uh, sources of authority and uh, having it only on the king. Um, the kings, like you've been said, would often appoint people that they liked to high positions, uh, which sort of created like a, like a, like a, uh, like a yes man system. Like everyone would say yes, because they were the king. Yeah. And oftentimes, and we call that the spoil system. And oftentimes it'd be people with money, because they would almost like buy their way. Like these rich guys would just be like, the king would be like, yo, you want to be in my house or whatever it is, cabinet? And they're like, sure, here's some money. And that's how they got in. So it wasn't really a fair, um, good governing body. Gave all the king the power. So we're going to first focus on France and the... um the absolutism in France. So what's like the first king that kind of showed absolutism? Let's see. Henry so, the fourth. He yes. passed the edict of Nantes, which granted religious tolerance to French Calvinists, AKA Huguenots. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty important because he um, made like efficient tax system. And he also said that the nobles were exempt from taxes, but 
basically taxes were pretty important for him. And a big theme that you'll see with absolutism is these kings were kind of kind of promote a kind of like overseer that will actually end up doing most of the governing for each of them. So Henry the Fourth was Duke of Sully. He was actually the one who mainly um, made the tax system efficient. And you'll see throughout this, every person has kind of this like appointed person that leads kind of under their rule, but really has a say. So what's the next king? Louis the 13th. Mm-hmm. He Why did you... was only nine years old, but he appointed, appointed Cardinal, Cardinal Richelieu as chief minister, and he pretty much ran the country. And he supported yes. Protestants in order to weaken the Habsburg power, even though he was Catholic himself. Yeah. So, basically, even though he was Catholic, anything that challenged his power... He got to get rid of, so he sided with Protestants. Um, so this centralized <laughs> the French power. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> who is this coughing? Me, sorry. Okay, so it centralized the French power, and um, they. Basically, French became the leading world, the leading power in Europe after the Thirty Years' War, because um, they were able to like kind of defeat the Habsburgs under Richelieu. So, leading on to his son Louis the Fourteenth, he was a young, young lad when he came in power, right? Indeed, he was very young. Yes, how Five. young was he? Oh, that. Very <laughs> like four years old. Five. Four or five years old. Five. Can you imagine that guys being five and being the leader of a country? Well boy. That would be crazy. <laughs> well, luckily he had Cardinal Marzarin to help him out. Am I right? Yeah. Into that, brother. Right. Guys, give it up for Cardinal Marzarin. Yeah. He helped out a four-year-old who didn't know anything. But then the fraud happened. Oh, yes. And that sucked because a bunch of nobles were rebelling against him to gain authority and limit his absolute monarchy. This caused Louis XIV to flee to Paris. And then the oh. fraud, which was a series of civil wars, happened. And that what? greatly impacted him, which ended up resulting in him vowing to control the nobility. Yes. And... He moved to Versailles. Yes. What did he do in Versailles? He created a giant palace. Yes, he made the palace. To show what? Divine His right. Yes. What is divine right? The, the right that, that the king he does is under the grace God. of God. <laughs> yes, by the grace of God. <laughs> God chose the ruler. He was like, Yo, I think God chose me to rule. Like, I'm so epic. That's and that's what, what he said. And he was, like, kind of important. He was a sun king. Facts. Yeah. Crazy. Which means... So, 
all revolves around him. That's why it was such a king. Eventually, it basically is another excuse for absolutism. Yeah. Right. Because if you say that God chose you, who would say, who would go against God? Nobody. So no one would question it. And they could get away with whatever they wanted, even if it made no sense and was probably not uh, according to the ways of good, uh, good things. Is not good. Yes. Yeah. And this was a time where religion was very, very prominent, regardless of what kind of denomination you were. You still believed in God. So if you just said that God followed you or you were a speaker for God, then people would follow you pretty easily. That's yeah. right. So now, what, did, what did Louis do? He did something yeah. crazy that would have made a previous French monarch kind of upset yep i was just gonna get into that he passed the edict of fontainebleau which basically revoked the edict of nantes no if you you remember back the edict of nantes was like yo religious tolerance like all right louis going in the f's here yep we'll let we'll let you huguenots back in but uh he didn't like that and uh louis louis the 14th was like yo catholic uh, Catholic all the way. It was that like that moment when Louis XIV <laughs> revokes the Edict of Nance and he says, I know. You're not anymore. <laughs> this is a meme that's on the slide. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty great. I mean, pretty not great, pretty bad because they fled. But it was, it was um, all good later because they got freedom. They got freedom. All's well that ends well. Yep. They have freedom then... now. Louis XIV appoints John Baptiste Colbert to control the finances. Yes. And he implements a mercantilism society into France. Yeah. Which increases the tariffs and protects their products and raises the economic system. But unfortunately, yeah. it did not repair the tax system, which was still kind of going Stanley. downhill. Uh, yeah. Come even on. if, even if um, um, Duke of Sully, way back when, created a good tax system, didn't really work out anymore because, you know, they wanted more taxes and taxes and taxes are, you know, cause trouble sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the mercantilism view, um, it protected tariffs, protected the products coming into a nation. And they really believed that um, if they were going to do trade, it had to benefit them. It wouldn't benefit any other country. So um, this was really important for the country's economic goals. So then Louis XIV would fight some wars, most notably the War of Spanish Succession, where basically kind of broke up Spain and um, all that jazz. So let's move on to Russia. Um, Actually... Should we talk about Russia? Sure. Do y'all have? Did y'all take those notes on Russia? Uh, yes. Did we? I didn't. Peter the Great. Maybe I should do that. Modernized Russia and began building Saint Petersburg. Yes, he did. So, um, he did build Saint Petersburg. And he um, had a pretty big army that he ordered to attack Sweden. 
and he kind of got control of that area after 20 years of fighting or 21 years of fighting. And so he, Oh, this is a big thing. I thought this was interesting from what I um, did during the notes. He introduced a potato to the Russians. What? Mm. Yo, this guy made lays. Wow. Yeah. Peter yeah, the Great? Like, more like Potato the Great. Uh, yeah, he was like, let's uh, cook up some lays. Pringle the Great. <laughs> so this was pretty cool for Russia, I think. That's probably not the most important thing, but it's the most important in my heart. It is the most important thing. You brought the potato. So then, after Peter, you got Catherine the Great. And she continued St. Petersburg shoot. um, 22-24. So, Catherine the Great, she continued um, the reforms of Peter, and she continued to modernize the um, Russia... And then she created the Legislative Commission for Reforms. So, um, okay, okay. Yeah. So, this was all about like the serfs and the peasantry and um, basically gave the um, nobles the right to treat them. So, she didn't as they wanted to. So, she wasn't like, yo, you got to treat the peasants like that. She was just like, let them go, let them do what they want. And this caused a revolt. Um, the surf revolt and they were like no 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 we don't like that um so that was a little part of under the catherine catherine the great and also there she created the charter of nobility nobility which exempt the um nobility from taxes like we've seen in other kings and queens they were like yep no taxes from nobles so it's pretty interesting to see reoccurring themes of these absolutism monarchs. Okay, what should we say next? All right. Nation Time state? The nation state system. Now, I know a lot about this. Okay, go ahead. All nation right. state system. So That's our next topic. State system. Well... To talk about the nation-state system, you kind of have to start with the Treaty of Westphalia. This uh, this sort of uh, started um, a competitive system between uh, like nation-states. Religion was no longer uh, as much of a cause for conflict. Now it was the power in Europe. So as we talked about before, France became a big military power after the Thirty Years' War. Uh, they had some big wins in that, so they you know they got a lot of power. Um, of course, the other European nations didn't like this so much, so they sort of uh, tried to offset the French power. Um, during this time, the Holy Roman Empire um, sort of uh, decreased, as did the Ottoman Empire. They sort of uh, uh, they sort of declined and weakened, so that left sort of a hole in the balance of power that could be filled by other nations. So it was pretty heated, all in all. Mm-hmm. And one nation that kind of stepped up and was formed was Austria. And um, after the Thirty Years' War, Charles V divided his empire into East um, and West. 
So Ferdinand the first got the east, and then Philip the second got the west. And then you have another king, Leopold the first, um, and so he ruled through a variety of legislative bodies. So we see that some kings were like, no, no legis- legislative bodies at all. But he was like, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's fine. So what happened after that? The Austrians captured Budapest. Yes. Which was the capital of Hungary. And Austria gained nearly all of Hungary with the Treaty of Karlowitz. Yes. Fun so fact about Hungary. It's pronounced Hungary. Hung- Hungary. Hungary, not Hungary. 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 Interesting. Yeah. During the War of Spanish Succession, Hungarians led by Prince Francis Rakhazi rebelled. And Rakhazi was defeated, but it led to a compromise. That's right. So, what was his compromise? Um, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what it is. So, um, the Hungarians... They they were had to accept the Habsburg rule, um, and no one liked the Habsburg because the Habsburgs threatened power, but they kind of had to because of the war. They got defeated in the Spanish succession, and then Charles the Sixth restored um, the aristocracy in Hungary. So this was like Habsburgs we back, and it was kind of crazy with the Habsburgs. No one liked the Habsburgs, but they were bad. Me neither. You don't like the Habsburgs? I do not like the Habsburgs. Oh, really? Why do you not like them? Um, I don't know. They're just like, who are they hated by? They, I just remember. Oh, Cardinal like Richelieu. Yeah, Cardinal Richelieu is my boy because he supported the Protestants. Yep. And we're like, so. no Habsburgs. Because the Habsburgs were like Catholic and all, you know. Yeah. Uh, the War of Spanish Succession. Well, just judging by the name, you can kind of tell. Spanish Succession, it has to do with the monarchy and who would become the next monarch. After Charles died, he had no heir. Uh, so the Spanish throne was, um, it was sort of open. So lots of people thought, hey, you know, we can get in here. We can make, we can, you know, control Spain. Um. So, uh, the Spanish throne was left to Louis XIV's grandson, Philip. Uh, Philip being French would have sort of created a more united Spanish and French government, which would have uh, been super powerful, and uh, lots of European countries did not want that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in order to do this, England formed the Grand Alliance with Holland, Austria, uh, the Italian duchy of Sarway. They didn't want France to be too powerful. Um, so after all was said and done in this war, you know, fighting and stuff like that happened. Uh, Spain sort of fell from grace. Uh, you know, they were in financial ruin because of the war. The middle class was basically non-existent. Their uh, agriculture was in decline. Population was in decline. It was just a bad situation. Um, so yeah, this sort of 
uh, took Spain out of the equation when it came to European affairs and conflicts for power. It just, you know, sort of sad. Spain fell from grace badly. Mm -hmm. so then, yeah. So then Austria decided that they were going to divide or not divide, but be in three parts. And these were the Habsburgs. This is after the War of Spanish Succession. So it'd be Austria, the Kingdom of Bohemia, and the Kingdom of Hungary, or Hung Hungary, as um, some of y'all would say. Actually, I have no <laughs> idea what it says. So, um, and then they, the Habsburg says, um, with the pragmatic sanction, that they would never divide, even if they didn't have a male heir. So, we have Austria. But we also have Prussia. And Prussia, being very Prussian, um, decided <laughs> that they would invade Austria. And this caused the War of Austrian Succession. Um, and then you have Frederick the Great of Prussia, and he's the one who invaded. So then the War of Austrian Succession, it didn't necessarily divide Austria like you would like think succession would be it was just kind of a conflict it didn't really have much significance but we also very interestingly you know how they said they never would divide even if they didn't have a male heir well they didn't have a male heir they had to have maria Teresa. she was the next heir the next one in line so they still didn't d divide um so her she being a woman still faced opposition but she still needed she still needed to rule and in order to rule she decided that she needed to control um all her stuff and so she taxed the clergy and nobility she took catholic the catholic church she said it was hers so the way she had absolute power was that she kind of took control of everything she had in her kingdom. And she was like, this is mine. Like, I know y'all might not like me because I'm a woman, but like, I'm still, I'm still queen and this is mine. So when she went bye-bye when she died, um, <laughs> Joseph the second, um, came into power. So what did Joseph the second do? Joseph the second, he put in many reforms for this new um, state rule over the Catholic Church in Austria. That's and right. He This would just put um, more control over the church. And this was kind of like back to all the like Catholic and church and state stuff where he made them, he made the Catholic lead leadership swear an oath to the monarch. So it was like, more power to the monarch. That yeah. is the key about this unit. More power to the monarch. That's right. It's so, kind of similar to what King Henry VIII did yes. when he wanted to divorce his wife, even though there might have been different circumstances around it. You know, he he all he like Henry VIII did. Uh, Joseph uh, abolished the monasteries and got the land for the government, and uh, he took control over the church, like Jake said. So it was sort of similar. It's interesting. Yeah, very similar. So that's kind of the end of the um, major 
Austrian people. So in Prussia, um, Fred, Frederick William, they called him the great elector. Um, he, of course, like everybody else, reduced the power of the no- nobles and the parliament. And he took taxes to pay for the army. And the soldiers also were tax collectors to get more money. So, I mean, we clearly see a theme here. People no didn't like nobles having power or anybody having power except them. Like we have Frederick William the first. Um, he he established more absolutism. He created the best army um, in the world at that point, and um, so that was something he did. And Frederick the second, and he's like the Frederick the Great. He um, basically developed Prussia as the best power, like a big power in Europe. And um, they invaded Silesia. That's how you say it, I think. Um, And that kind of going back to what we said about Austrian succession, that, um, that was the cause of it, him invading Silesia. And then um, he also allowed religious tolerance, which was a big thing for his rule. Okay, so now that we're done talking about that, this is a big part of this unit. English stuff. All the things that happened in England. Holy. That's right. Yes. England went through some crazy stuff during this time. Yeah. Sort of uh, leading, sort of, sort of like, a, like a precursor to England's importance in Europe that would come later. Um, because but like up until, this point, up until this point, we haven't heard much about England, right? We're a little mm-hmm. bit, but not too much. Well, this is where England starts to, you know, come into the forefront. You've been, you want to talk about this? Yeah. Way before all of the different absolute monarchs we talked about so far, there was the Magna Carta in 1215. Wow. And the Magna Carta was a list of demands from the nobility, which forced King John the first, the king at the time to accept. And it established the principles of limiting the king's power, which was pretty unheard of at the time, considering then the king was very much the absolute ruler. Well, geez, this sounds like it would change a lot of stuff uh, in terms of government. Did it really? Not really. Because James the first, like 400 years later, was like, no, I want absolute power. Just like everybody else. That's right. He did that. Yes, he did. And people didn't like that. They were like, whoa, we want, we don't want you to have all the power. So this caused the gunpowder plot. And um, they were like, let's kill James the first. But he found out and he basically killed all of them. So that was that was that. That was yes. so um but him wanting absolute power be, and one big reason was he thought he was a divine the divine king he thought he had divine right he created some problems of course like many others he clashed with parliament and um he had problems with them and he wanted to basically get rid of parliament um and he he did things without parliament without their say so you know how like the president needs the Congress to do things well. Um, Mr. James was like, 
I don't need parliament to do anything. So that was his first kind of one of the first major absolute rulers. So who's the next major ruler? Charles the first. Yes. Charles the first. Charles the first was seen as too pro-Catholic by the people. Well, specifically the Puritans. And he appointed William Laud as archbishop. Yeah. It's a very high position in the church. Yeah, people didn't really like that. And um, Parliament gave Charles lots of the funds and money from taxes so that he could fund his wars. Yes, all the so wars. Parliament would every now and then deny paying him. In return, Charles dissolved Parliament and tried to rule England on his own. Yeah, this was pretty crazy. And go ahead, James. Without Parliament, uh, he couldn't really uh, make new taxes, per se. So he had to find money in other ways. So he created uh, forced loans, and he would sell aristocratic titles and other such things just to bring in money to fund all of these wars that he was getting in. Yeah, he did crazy things. And, like, he applied a tax to a, a tax for, like, trade on, like, to protect um like ship ship ports and stuff but he also did that to inland countries or county or shoot inland cities so this basically meant that they he couldn't protect something that wasn't there cuz they were didn't have water around them so it basically just went all to Charles I all that money um so what major thing did the parliament want that um for charles the first to sign the petition of rights yes so, so what is the petition of rights um so in return for money charles would have to agree to uh um not imprison people without giving them due cause um which basically means not imprisoning people uh, for no reason. Uh, also, no taxation without the consent of parliament, uh, no courting soldiers in private homes, and no martial law during peacetime. Charles ended up signing it, but if we know anything about kings, they don't like to listen to other people. So mm-hmm. he didn't really follow it at all. So it was kind of... No. Uh, didn't even matter. So, Yep. So he does, didn't like Parliament, of course, and he went a long time, specifically 20 years, without Parliament. And um, then Parliament came back in session, and they, they said that um, they needed to at least be called on every three years. And because Charles did not like this, he tried to arrest Parliament and was like, yo, Y'all can't, y'all can't do that. Like, it's, it's, it's my, um, it's my thing. Like I get to call in parliament when I want to and, or when I don't want to, which we know he didn't for 20 years. Um, so then he got his army and when he gets his army against his own people in his own, um, country, what does this lead to? The English civil war. Indeed it did, Jake. 
Yes. So I, what were the two factions in the English Civil War? The Royalists and the Parliamentarians. Yes. AKA the Cavaliers and the Roundheads. Yes. The Royalists so the, consisted of yes, the House yes, of Lords, yes. the north and western parts of England. And it was basically more of the, the aristocracy and church officials in the more rural areas. While the yeah. Parliamentarians was House of Commons in the south and the east, which was the Puritans, merchants, and townspeople in much more urban areas. Yep. So the the Royalists kind of, they were the rich people that kind of went behind the king. And then the poor people were the Parliamentarians. And they kind of all joined under Oliver Cromwell. And he appointed himself and said, I am the officer of the Parliamentarian Army. So... Um, actually, Oliver Cromwell ended up defeating the Royalists. So this put an end to Charles and all his absolutism. And so Oliver Cromwell became the new ruler. But um, even though he kind of overthrew absolutism, he started off with a government that was kind of okay, but it was the rump parliament. But then... um, it didn't go that well, and he ended up becoming more of a dictator in his second um, kind of type of government. Uh, that's right, because with the rump parliament, he uh, got rid of all the people who still sort of supported the king. So it didn't really balance his power at all. Mm-hmm. Levelers. They're the OG libertarians. They wanted to abolish corruption within parliament as a result of the English Civil War. Yep. And their political manifesto was known as the Agreement of the People. Mm -hmm. Mm. So they said they they were fine with religious differences, but what's one really interesting fact about them? What were they wanting? Universal suffrage. They said everyone could vote. Oh, interesting. Crazy. So a more (laughs) radical form of levelers were the diggers. And they were kind of like farmers. They were agrarian, quote-unquote, communists. Yep. Communists. So basically, (laughs) farming is communists. And what do we know about communists? That they like to distribute the wealth and power. And these guys were like, let's distribute the land that we all have to the poor people. What? Yep. But um, this was kind of like a... It ended up not happen- happening. So Oliver Cromwell's second form of government he decided would maybe work was the protectorate. And it saw that the rump parliament went bye-bye. And he was more of a military leader now. He was like, let's rule with the military. So he was basically a military dictator. So after Oliver Cromwell, who takes over? His son would take over, but his son was very weak. And then Charles II, the son of Charles I, who was not very well liked, restored the royalty monarch back to the original 
and he did a lot of good things that yeah his father did not necessarily do yeah he wanted he wanted to do better than father he was like let let's not make the same mistake that my father did let's not get beheaded let's not get executed and let's not get a war fought over him and he kind of did that i mean he kind of did better and one uh big thing as we close up about was the test act that was under charles the second and um this basically said that no one but anglicans can um be in the military and have positions like civilian positions leadership positions so that was one kind of big absolutism thing he did um he just basically wanted his the religion he had anglicism to be the forefront of the um leadership so i think that's it for the english stuff and that comes to a close for um absolutism does anybody have any other comments yes Go ahead. Well, I think we really need to emphasize just how crazy this period is in Europe. Lots of stuff is changing pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, definitely interesting. We definitely got to look at uh, what happens next because it seems like things can change uh, on a dime. Yeah. Definitely a very unstable time in Europe. Yeah. It seems like all these... like. Think about it as a view from the peasants. Like, all these kings are just feasting for power, and it's just like a just pa- redistribution, redistribution of power constantly. And they're like, when when is it gonna like die down? And when are when are we gonna get like a say? Yeah, and I think this is really important to learn about because unlike stuff like the Renaissance. This really uh, affects the common people. The majority of people are affected by what's going on. It's not just the rich people and stuff like that. So it's very important to uh, to learn about this stuff because it affected many, many people. Yeah. And mm-hmm. actually, it, they do end up, the parliament and the people do end up getting a little bit more power and less um, absolute power with the Glorious Revolution um, when William and Mary... They come into power uh, and the English Bill of Rights basically said gives the people rights that and limits the um, the monarchy's power. So that that is something that kind of shifted at the end of absolute rule towards um, more power to the people. So um, any other comments? No. Okay. Well, thank y'all for um, joining me this week. I think from now on we'll have a lot of people here, uh, um, not just me. So that'll be that'll be fun. That's right. Yeah. What's so funny, Josh? That's just so sad. <laughs> what? Not just me? No. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I hope you um I hope you were um entertained and you learned something this week. That's right. Yep. 
I think I think we need to start a tradition with this podcast, Jake. Everyone at the end needs to say one hope that they have for the next week. One what? One hope for the next week. Okay, what's your hope, James? My hope is that uh, school gets easier and I don't have to stay up late all the time. And I can get some sleep and focus on myself a little bit more. Ooh, that, that's a good inspiring hope there, James. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. Can Josh have a more inspiring hope? Uh, well, James kind of hit all the nails on the right one. My hope is that James reaches his hope. How about yep. that? Wow. Thank you, Josh. Do I, can I assume that Ewan's hope is that Josh will hit his hope? Uh, no, I just hope Wawa's good still. Yeah. Oh, okay. Come back. Man, Yuvin does not want Josh to reach his hope. But they didn't want it's not that he doesn't want Josh to reach his hope. There's more important hope about Wawa more. There are more important matters here. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Okay. What about Nini's still slap? What about me? What do I hope for for next week? Yeah. I hope that um it snows so we can get out of school. Yes. <laughs> Please. Okay, two years ago, it snowed on November 11th. True. Yeah. That's what tomorrow is. <gasps> oh my god! November what? 11th. What? Oh my god! That's insane. I don't think the it's problem is it's like though. been in the mid 70s this week. Yeah, I kind of doubt it's going to happen. But you know, <laughs> like 200 degrees. It was hot out today. I know it was crazy. I was Damn, like, yeah. not reinforcing Jake's hopes. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying they're not okay. Well, it's not gonna happen tomorrow. Let's just say that. You yeah. said that hey, next week. Maybe the next day. Weirder has happened. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's good for this podcast. Yep. We'll see Let's you next week. Intro music. Do do do. Actually, that's not the intro music. Do, Bye. Do, 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 do.